In this episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze, local custom home builder Dan Ferreira from Ferreira Inc. stops by to discuss the starting steps and challenges of what it takes to build your dream home with everything that you want in 2022. Also, a real hot topic in real estate in California is the ADU. What can you do and what can you not do on your lot when it comes to building a unit for granny, house guests, or some additional income? This is one of those episodes in which dreams you've always had in homeownership or improvements to your existing property might just come true. Here's the host of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze, James Bueno. Welcome to another Slow County Real Estate with Hal Swayze Podcast. As always, we have Mr. Hal Swayze with us. Good morning, James. We have JT, Mr. John Turner. James, great to be here. And I'm excited for today, Hal, because we have a special guest. Do you want to introduce who we got? Sure, yeah. I've got a great contractor, um, business owner, Dan Ferreira, Ferreira Construction. We've worked together for years. He helped us on a building that I own, so I know firsthand about the service, and he's got a wealth of knowledge. So um, I'm just going to introduce Dan. And Dan, um, hey, why don't you tell our listeners that may not be aware or familiar with you how long you've been doing this, what you guys focus on. Just give us a little bit of background, if you don't mind. Sure. Thanks, Hal. Yeah, we've been here since graduating Cal Poly 2006. So I'm part of that class and um, raised my kids here, started a business right in 2008, right, right in the worst time ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems like a lot of good things get started in the worst times. So right. we started building homes, remodeling homes. And as things came back online, we added a window and door companies some manufacturing. And then we co-founded an architecture and engineering company. So our dream has always been to offer a design build solution so that you've got a whole team together. So we've been at it 12 years and we estimate, even though we're not really sure that we put up about a hundred custom homes around the County, usually about 10 or 12 a year, and then add in a, some miscellaneous commercial restaurant type of stuff. So we kind of touch it all. And really our, what we say is if our team can do it well, well let's do it. So we don't really draw too many hard lines on types of projects. I notice you guys are a great resource for someone like me that has a client that wants to build or considering it. And it's just like you can answer all the questions versus going to a lot of different places. How did you compile that kind of team? Yeah. Being around the industry for some time, even before launching a business, one of the biggest frustrations is that we're so siloed between the architecture, engineering, the building, the different subcontractors. There's just so much to know. And so the industry's response of the last few decades is to is to really uh, segregate and break everything up. And the, the downside is that the consumer or, or the strategic partner like yourself doesn't have access to everything. So we've made it our mission to put as many people in one house as possible with our companies, but also to build as many strategic relationships where we can talk about everything that is involved in the process, even though there's 20 different consultants, we can at least represent them up front well so that you, you don't have to know a soils engineer or a civil engineer. You just need to know us. We, we'll, we'll bring all that forward. So we just know it's so critical to making decisions that we make it a point to, make, to put that in front. Nice. One-stop shop. Can I build a house for less than I can buy one for? I can. <laughs> I, I can't. Can yeah. you, John? Yeah, can well, you yeah. prove and you yeah, can? I'm sure you can. <laughs> and just ask my wife. I'll finish it one day. Yeah. Right. Uh, I guess the answer is always it depends. And so the answer is yes, you can, but you need the right team and the right lot and the right, uh, the right process. And if you put those things together, then you, you can do amazing things and you can come out ahead. And one of the things we were reflecting on the other day um, over the last 10 years, we can't name one client we've built for that didn't move in with equity. So to prove your point, 
if it's done well and it's done uh, strategically well with consideration to budget to um, to all the all the other all the other items on a person's list, you can accomplish it. You just got to get it all up front. That's that's the, kind of the takeaway today. You know, I, I was kind of the, one of the ones that thought that this would be a good question because I hear this a lot, and we were trying to help people that want to buy land and build a house. Mm-hmm. My perception was, and it's probably relatively true industry-wide, is, boy, by the time you buy that and you get your fees done and everything, um, you're going to be into it for probably a lot more than you could have bought a home for. Do you see that often? Or? It is common. And, and when you do look around at the custom homes being built, they are large, and, and many of them are done um, they're done because they want what they want. And so you kind of need to put that in one category and come back and say, let's say you want to build 2,500 feet and live in the city. You can do that. The, now, you would know how more than me, the land to do that on is not as plentiful as it used to be, the sure. entitled city lots. So when you find one, you got to jump on it because a lot of the land you see for sale is country property and it's 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 luxury property and whatnot. Right. So we did a couple right in right off abroad up there on the hill. Yeah, They were all in for under a million dollars. They moved in with $200,000 of equity. Um, probably 18 months from close of escrow on dirt to move in, but that's entitled land with utilities. Mm-hmm. And those are straightforward and the math works. It's easier, yeah. right? Or less homework for you. Yeah. Right? No planning approvals straight into building, you know, um, just like a, like any, like a real estate deal, they're just straightforward bread and butter. And if you, when we find them, you jump on them, they work really well. Yeah. Cause when I'm dealing with clients, when they talk about building or even a remodel, you know, I say, oh, okay, so it was way cheaper and faster than you thought, which everyone laughs because they never seem to be the case. But I'm sure that happens often. But you, you've got a system that maybe minimizes that, it sounds like. It's cheaper and fast. You were, you know, being sarcastic than what they thought. It all comes down to expectations. And the expectations are set by how good did the team do up front setting those? How good was the feasibility study? Did we see that? that uh, new sewer line that's going to cost you 10 grand. Did we identify that up front? Was it part of the budget or did it sting you late? And so the more, the better we set expectations, the better we estimate up front, um, you know, the better the process goes. I mean, people ask all the time, what is, what do things cost? And we'll give a rough order measurement, like a square foot, but you really need a detailed estimate that has been prepared for your specific application to get those right expectations. You can't go off of the general, the general data and expect to, to, to be on, on target. So for many people, building their dream house is, is not only a dream, it's a bucket list thing. It's, it's romantic, especially if you don't get divorced, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so, so That's a so, nervous laugh right there. <laughs> Sorry, John. No, I, I built yeah. a house a few years ago, and I'm still happily married. Well, I'm still married. All right. Yeah. So um, I, I, I find this lot that, you know, I'm, I'm all over the lot. I want this lot. It's a great lot. And so I call my favorite real estate agent, Hal Swayze. I go, Hal, I want to buy this lot, but I don't know what to, what to do next. Right. What, what, what do I do next? Yeah. What I would say is, you know, obviously get a hold of someone like us. Um, you're going to need a designer, but you don't need a designer day one. You're going to need a, what you need is a team that can identify the feasibility. So typically if I, when our team gets brought in on your situation, you're staring at that lot. Maybe you've made offers with how maybe it's, maybe you're in your due diligence period. We get brought in and the first thing we go is, you know, what are your expectations? And, and you'll say, well, I bought the lot for a half a million and I've got a $800,000 build budget. And I want to build X, Y, and Z. And so we start backing that up and we say, okay, we build a program real quick with our feasibility estimate. 
that backs you into the reality if that's possible. We go, what's the site going to take? What are the utilities going to take? And we start putting numbers on things. And the actual cost of your vertical house, that's the easiest part. If you take, give me a flat lot anywhere in the country, I can tell you what the vertical house costs. It's all the other stuff that takes a little bit of homework to figure out. That's what our team does. If you can get all that straight up front, then it's pretty smooth sailing. So I would say anybody who's in love with a lot, the average person we talk to who actually has a budget, they're not an open budget person, they might have to look at two or three lots before we find one that actually where the math works and everything works well. So um, it, it, do the homework, get the team involved. So besides price, mm-hmm. what makes a lot the one? What's the, what makes a lot a great lot versus a bad lot? Right, okay, so here's, I'll just go through all the cost impacts. Slope, um, we have lots in town that are 35 foot you know, incline upsloper. So you know, like I said, the cost to go vertical, once you've got that foundation, it's pretty similar. But are you going to spend a hundred thousand extra dollars in the dirt? We call it. Are you going to spend? You know, maybe it's a steep downsloper, and the sewers up in the street. Now we got to pump everything up. Um, maybe PG&E's got to put in three hundred feet of underground and a transformer to get out to your country property. So we're looking at utility access, power, water. Do we have to drill a well? How deep is it going to be? Can we, what's a will serve letter cost from that water jurisdiction? Can you get one? Um, so we're really looking at we kind of our whole lit checklist is utilities which would be power, water, sewer, whatever that looks like, and gas. Um, then we turn around and we look at, are there any environmental pieces? You know, There's lots that are technically buildable in Los Osos, but there's a manzanita, and on the manzanita is a snail. And the snail comes out once a year when it rains, and if that, you know, that's a deal killer. There's just there's so botanical, biological, environmental. There's a blue line creek. There's a drainage. What's that going to mean? So we just again, you don't have time to go consult thirty people, but we there's a pretty good body of knowledge sitting in our team we can put forward. So utilities, environmental, um, and then we're looking at soil conditions and other red flags and things like that. So so the variability in cost is mostly in the site. Mostly in the site. Yeah, and even with all the stuff we read about lumber and everything going up and down and all that stuff. So so if somebody's going to build a 2,500-square-foot house on a flat lot, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I'm going to put you on the like price per square foot to do something like that that yeah. realtors love to throw around because they don't know anything? And the way the way we use price per square foot, which is a, a rough order of measurement, a ROM, which, which is the worst way but the best way to talk about it quick, is we say, hey, that 2,500-foot single-story home, with sort of like eight, nine foot, nine foot ceilings, you know, nice things, but not yeah. over the top, you know, 250 a foot is plenty to build the home, but how much else is waiting for you right. around that site? So we can confidently say price per foot, square foot on the structure, 250, 300 tons, you're good. And then, but then someone who builds a home, they say, well, I was 400 a foot. Well, you had to climb a mountain. You had to put in a quarter mile driveway. You, you know, so you have to separate that stuff off to even kind of get good data. Right. But, if, but I would tell anybody, 250 a foot on your structure is a reasonable expectation. And then we gotta, we got to look at the rest of the factors on top. But then you have design and yep. engineering and all the other stuff and the soils yep. people and all that stuff, all so, those other things. Yep. That doesn't go into that 250. It does not. So okay. what we do is we, we our one-page initial feasibility budget, we do soft costs, architecture, engineering, consultants, fees to the jurisdictions, uh, impact fees, water impact fees, uh, school fees. We put it all on there. Uh, and then, and then we do the vertical construction, the easy part. And then we can look at the site, you know, utilities, uh, access, all those sort of things. And so when you, when you look at all those pieces, then you get the whole enchilada, you know, 
and then and then you decide whether it's going to be a romantic experience or not. <laughs> John. So so other quick question. So can we shift to like ADUs? Right, They're very so it's much easier to put a guest house, granny house, additional dwelling unit, all those things we call those things. So, it, cities are different, counties are different. Um, is it just kind of give us the general atmosphere? Yeah, what that's if, like if we rewind the tape before we had the term ADU, it was a really disconjuncted situation. Um, but as soon as the ADU was in, in, uh, brought in, that's the first example of statewide zoning, uniform zoning, which is a really uh, hot topic. Should the state be imposing statewide things or should it not? Uh, most people say no, but gosh, does it make life easy? And it, re it really helps clarify a lot. So um, the ADU is a great one because it, it is a statewide uh, zoning. Um, it is an exception to density. It is an exception to parking. The state basically told all the cities and counties, you cannot impose all these crazy nuanced regulations that stop people from doing this. So over the last few years, all these state and counties have had to roll that back and get used to the fact that this is what the state law is. So um, basically, with some uh, nuance, you can build an ADU. Um, with, with, there are exceptions, but even a um, R1 zone, like a low-density zone, that would never be able to put a second unit on, this, this is an exception to that. So as long as you have room to do it, and as long as there isn't some extraordinary circumstance stopping you to do it, you can do it. That's the, that's the general rule. So that clarifies a lot. They run on the utilities of the main house, so you're, you're automatically allowed to tie, it's meant to be tied in. So and you don't have to get a new water meter or electric or any of that stuff. Th now the thing that gets interesting is like, we have a lot of old inventory. Right. So, the old, 80, old, you mean the existing homes? The existing basically. homes, yeah. and this is this is your life. You guys live this. I mean, um, you're putting a new product next to an old product. So the new product isn't restricted, but it may require some of that old product to be updated. So right. your, your, your existing home, they're not going to go through it from the building department and say, hey, you need sprinklers in here and you need this, that, and the other. They're, that, they're not going to get that far, but the utility, the electrical service, those need to be sufficient to handle, you know, the additional load. So there, there may be some site impacts, but typically with the ADU, it's minimal. The fees are minimal. Yep. So this is this is a good one. You know, everyone should at least take a look at. How many of your new builds today are including an ADU? A, a lot. I would. The majority of new homes we build have an ADU, or they have a plan, a master plan for an ADU. And so obviously, you know, with the volume, of, with the with the economy of scale, we'd like to put them in early. But um, at the same time, but at the same time, we're always setting people up for it, whether they're coming back two, three years later and putting it in or whether the garage is oversized so that they can come in and do the ADU later on that footprint or, or something like that. I think everybody's building. What I love right now is people are building with a, um, a longer time horizon. I'm building this with intentionality for today. But what about 10 years from now? And so the ADU is a beautiful way to think about, you know, how to factor, you know, aging in place and all these different things. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Is that why my wife wants one? So there's a place to store me. Well, I was, I was helping a friend. We were designing ADUs and we were naming them when we named one, the failure to launch. That's for your kid who comes back. We named another one for uh, the in-law unit, keep her close, but not too close. You know? So we were having fun with all the different ways that this ADU thing factors into your life. And, and, and it's very real. So, so uh, when the fir first law passed was like 2019 or when, it, when they first put this over and then, then there were some modifications locally and then it didn't, and then it, like, then they passed again or something. So has, have the laws and the rules kind of stabilized where it's not, do you know what you're getting into or there's still 
like jurisdictions in our county where it's like mm, this this city is a little bit trickier or the county how's that yeah is that, in classic is that predictable i guess yeah in classic fashion a state law is passed that no one understands you know and then everyone has to go work it out okay and so and then they have to come back and bring clarifying you know uh, uh put things language. clarifying on the, yeah language and then all the cities and counties have to go hey how does this this totally interferes with our lo- local and regional ordinances now we have to start rolling those planning ordinances back or adjusting them and so like for the longest time even if you had room to put a secondary dwelling, this is pre-ADU, you had to be able to get additional parking on your on yeah. your lot. And to get additional parking, you had to have like a 12-foot, you know, drivable lane in the city. So you had all these local things that stopped you. So those go out the window. And so the last two, three years has been every city and county figuring out how to mesh their local ordinance. And, and a lot of them would still like to impose restrictions, so they're looking for ways to impose it. And there are little fringy ways they can do that. So that's why somebody would need to talk to you if they can do it. Yeah, yeah, it's not an automatic. I mean, you might be in a planned subdivision where there's legal reasons you can't do it. You might be in a, an area where there are uh, water impacts that would stop you from doing it. There are definitely reasons why, why you can't do it. Um, you may not have the space. You still got to meet your setbacks. That's for fire safety between different structures and things like that. So there's, there's definitely some impacts you got to consider. And then, like the general uh, requirements, like limitations on size, that sort of thing. How, how do those general rules go for someone Gosh. thinking about this? We have a great team, so that that handle this sort of thing. And I could have prepped a little bit. We've prepared a few one pagers that you know anyone who's interested, we can hand out. The city has them as well. But um, gosh, a thousand feet. You know, the original law was twelve hundred, I believe, and then a thousand kind of became the accepted. And a lot of the cities found ways to limit that down to eight hundred. So I would say safely it's 800 to the 1,000, 1,200 mark. Right. As you move across the state, you'll find ranges of what you can actually do. One of the kind of last questions. So somebody's thinking about building or maybe even doing addition. Mm-hmm. These days, you know, there's costs, there's labor issues, all these things we hear about. So what are the couple of the biggest challenges as a builder you face which affects your clients? If we meet, well, in a perfect world, we meet our client before we ever draw anything. And if, we, if we're working with someone before they even start drawing, we can mitigate almost every schedule impact. I mean, we have windows right now that are six months to get. We have doors that are five or six months to get. The good thing is we have eyes upstream, we call it. We can see these things happening. I know what's going on in um, one of our big aluminum producers out of Vacaville. We know what's going on in their plant. We know they've only got two lines open instead of four. We know they're not going to get three back on. And we're monitoring all this upstream supply chain stuff. And so when, a, when someone comes in and we're involved before they draw, we're steering. Oh, you want a 25-foot bifold door. Okay, well, if we use this brand with this level of finish, we can get that in three months rather than six. You know, that kind of thing. So we can steer the fixture and finish around those hoops and hurdles. Um, but when we come in late, maybe this is a better way to phrase it. Say someone has plans and a permit and they call us tomorrow. The first thing we do is start breaking the news to them right. of where the delays are going to be right. because the plan is too, we're coming in too late. So um, lead time on materials, a real problem. Uh, if you just go with what you want and you don't consider everything, you'll get some delays there. Um, Labor is an issue. If I call up my framing crew, they're all three months out. Everyone's three months out, six months out. So you're going to end up with the B team, the C team, the, you know, the mm-hmm. D team, whatever you want to call it. If you want to do it right If you want to do it right now with no planning, you're not going to get the best people. You're not going to get the best price. So the way you mitigate it is with a really good long-range plan where, you, where you're factoring those things. So labor is a real issue. Yeah. We don't have enough skilled labor, and so you've got to book people out early. Um, 
builders like us who at least been around a decade, we've got relationships and we have priority and we're, we're pulling on that hard to get things done right now. So yeah. I don't know how anyone getting into the game today would get it done. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like what we do real estate. If somebody meets early, we can say, okay, don't worry about this. Let's focus on that. These things can yeah. save you time, money and headaches. So another big one is financing. Yeah. So what we do with our upfront, um, budgeting when we're, when we're doing these feasibilities with the real estate team is we're going, Hey, how much cash are you going to need to do this deal? Cause you might spend a million dollars, but you can't borrow a million. You right. got to spend so much cash before you get to a lendable state on the build. So we'll map out a cash flow plan. And if you map that out and you get your lender involved and they take 60, 90 days uh, to, to put that together, that all has to be factored in. So you can actually break ground when your permit's ready rather yeah. than sitting on it. So be patient. If you want to build a house, be patient. Take your time. Be patient, but um, I always tell people, you're going to spend a lot of money later, and the decisions that impact that are now. So get the team involved early. You know, Don't be afraid to get them in early. You think you got to wait and do some bidding exercise? Don't do that. Bring them in early. Have any more questions for, for Dan? About 100, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, how can people contact you and uh, you know give us some of your info in case uh, somebody wants to get some information from you? We have uh, several different things going on in San Luis, but really anything anything related, you could just uh, the easiest way is probably just go to FerreraInc.com. It's spelled just like it sounds. It's super easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's F E R R E I R A I N C dot com, and uh, right there you'll see everything you need to know. I mean, we have a big thing that says need help with a project and just you know put your info in there and we'll be we'll we'll come we'll come to the rescue just start clicking well awesome thank you very much for being here we really appreciate it gentlemen um another successful podcast i thank you all and we'll see you next time thanks dan thanks james thank you for listening to the house Wazy podcast be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast it comes out every monday so check for it in your feed for the latest information on the san luis obispo county market the Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and on housewayze.com where you can find current listings and other real estate tips. Housewayze.com, that's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. I am James Bueno, Director of Marketing for the House Swayze Group. If you're looking for anything real estate, give us a call, 805-781-3750. Al Swayze is a licensed California real estate broker. DRE number 01111911. The Slow County Real Estate with Hal Swayze podcast is a production of AGM Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.